We've been going through a series on the book of Nehemiah, and hopefully you know by now that the book of Nehemiah is all about how God rebuilds and God restores his city. He, he rebuilds and restores his people as, as his people do his work. He restores them and he restores the city. And Jesus is building his kingdom. He's redeeming and restoring a people for himself. And he's doing that through the people of God. And so Nehemiah is all about God, how God rebuilds and restores through this man, through his people to build his kingdom. And God does his work by redeeming his people, by calling them to himself, giving them a purpose, making them a part of his plan. And he's still doing that today. So go ahead and turn your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah, it's relevant to us, and the reason why is because it helps us see how God works, how God works to rebuild and restore his people, and what he does working through his people to rebuild and restore. So this particular passage is going to help us see how to identify the attacks of the enemy. That's what you're going to see throughout Nehemiah 6. The attacks of the enemy are relentless. They come time after time. Different ways the attacks of the enemy come. And we've seen that all throughout Nehemiah. And we're going to see how does God's servant respond to the attacks of the enemy. So turn in your book of Nehemiah to chapter 6. This Let's read God's holy inspired word together. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab... And the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hachafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they went and they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, and for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That's why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And now the king will hear these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now, when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mechatabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. So that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, O oh my God, according to these things that they did. And also the prophetess Noadiah and the, the rest of the prophets who want to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul. In 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been done, accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and Jehoanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I just pray right now that you would enable us to set aside all distractions. God, the busyness, the hurriedness, the rush of our week, the, the pressures of today. Lord, I pray that you would enable us to set aside all those distractions that take us away from you. 
God, enable us to focus on you and your word. Enable us to hear from you. Lord, enable me to speak your words. Lord, enable all of us to hear your words. God, for all of us who are weak, I pray that you would strengthen our weak hands. She would make us strong for your purposes. She would make us strong for your mission. God, would you sustain us? Would you give us your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, after a lot of different jobs in high school, like most kids, I'd had tons of different kinds of jobs in high school, but my first real career job, it was working in a totally different field. It was working in security. It's not really relatable to pastoral ministry, but uh, I worked in security. And one of the first things they taught us was, you know, how to look out for threats, how to look for people who might come and attack. And so, you know, you, you learn some big threats, you know, people who might come and, and attack overtly. And so how do you defend against that? What do you do there if somebody attacks overtly? What do you do if somebody comes in with a weapon or whatever happens here? What, what do you do if somebody tries to storm the gates of where you're at? And, and how do you respond? But then the other thing that they taught us, which, which I hadn't known, I, I had to learn, was, was how to look for threats that aren't big, that aren't noticeable. And, and how, to, how to look for those common, everyday kind of threats in life. And, and, and these things drive my kids nuts today. I mean, they really do. Because it, it stuck with me. And so it teaches things like how to, where to sit in a restaurant so you can see the door. And you have a back and you have an exit here. And you need to be able to see everybody coming in and out. And, and it probably drives people nuts because when I go to meet with somebody, often I'll be like, no, nah, I don't want that table. Not that table. Not that. Ah, how about that one over there? Is that okay? You know, so it, it stays with you because... This training to how to look for, scan for threats. And then, and then affects how I drive as well, at least normally. And, and so, you know, don't drive in the middle lane. You need to drive in the left lane or the right lane so you can get out, make a quick exit, don't get trapped. You know, all of these things to, to be alert, be aware. You know, don't, don't stop too close to somebody because if you stop too close, you can't make an exit. And so all these things I'm kind of, were ingrained into me early on in my first career. And, and they never laughed. And, and so, you know, I've got I've to be in a certain room by a door when you go and stay in a, in a house somewhere. And, I, and I, need to, I need to stay, I'm the one who's in the bed closest to the door in the, a certain place. So all those things are stuck in my head because I was trained to look for the subtle threats. Because in that job, I was always a target. You're always a target when, when you're working in a security field. And so you're trained that way to remember, to know that you're always a target. It's kind of like when I was... Younger, there was this old, anybody remember The Far Side, by the way? Anybody remember that? It was an old comic strip, The Far Side, Gary Larson. And he had this great, um, I, I, well, I had a mug. It was made by Gary Larson. And on the front of it, it said, um, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. And it had two deer standing there. One was looking at the other. One was looking at his chest. And there's this big target on his chest. And, and, and so, you know, that, that's kind of how I felt. Like, you know, wait a minute, I'm, I'm always a target. And... And, you know, I don't want to induce fear in you, but as a Christian, you are always a target of the devil. Now, now we are aware as believers to be on guard and look out for the big threats, right? We, we know the biggies in life. We know how the devil attacks in those huge ways, in those overt ways. But what we also need to be aware of is he doesn't just attack that way. He attacks in subtle ways. He attacks in insidious ways. And that's what you see in this passage in Nehemiah is is the devil really attacking through people. You see, Jesus said that we don't wage war against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. So anytime you see a manifestation of people attacking God's people, it's, it's, it's really always because the devil is behind that to attack God's people. And so what we see in this passage in Nehemiah is, is the devil's attacking in a lot of different ways, and he's doing it really subtly. He's doing it really covertly, really. He's not, he's not necessarily overt, and, and he does it in a way that's in, insidious. And, and what we see, what we can learn from this passage is, okay, first of all, this, this man, Nehemiah, he's got a big target on him, like God's servants often do with our enemy, the devil. But what we need to see is that although all of these attacks happen, God is the one who sustains as, as God's servant learns to discern and to refute and to turn back the attacks of the devil, God sustains him. You know, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded. I want to encourage you. Be sober-minded this morning. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Peter tells us, he says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You don't, you don't need to be afraid. I don't want to induce fear in you, but I do want to wake you up to the fact that, that you, you are in a battle. You do have an adversary. You do have a target, a bummer of a, of a Christian birthmark in one sense, but what a privilege it is that, that we belong now to God's dominion, his rule, his reign, his people, his church. When God makes you a part of his people, he makes you a part of his church, though, you become a target for the enemy. But here's the good news, and really, good news, and it's really the main idea throughout the whole passage, is, is that God will sustain you. God sustains us. God sustains us as we discern and we resist the enemy's attacks by faith. God sustains us. That's the good news. God sustains us as we discern, and we, we need to discern. And as we resist, because we need to resist the enemy's attacks by faith. So far, we've seen in the book of Nehemiah that, that Nehemiah's faced a whole lot of opposition, right? God called him. He brought him out of the land of exile. He brought him here for a purpose to rebuild God's kingdom, to build the wall, to restore and to rebuild his people. God brought Nehemiah here for a purpose, but there's been opposition. We saw in the first couple of chapters, opposition came from ridicule. And if you're a believer, we, we, we understand we can relate to that. People ridicule you as a Christian, he, he was able to turn away ridicule because that's an obvious one. Turn away ridicule and then there came threats of physical violence. And Sambalat and the others moved their troops around Jerusalem and there was a threat of physical violence. And that's a, that's a really observable one. You can look and see. But then there came something that was what often happens in the Christian walk as well is there came the internal threat of discouragement. We can't do this. We're too weak. We're not up to this. And I don't know about you, but I, I can often become discouraged as well. So we saw that threat and how God sustained through that. And God is at work constantly enabling his people to endure through each and every threat that we see in the book of Nehemiah. And then we see, saw the threat last week of internal problems. The people were not caring for the people in their midst who were oppressed, who were struggling, who were poor. They were overlooking the needs of the poor. And, and what we see is that that we need to first get our own house in order and care for the oppressed before we can say God's a merciful and just God. We need to be showing mercy and justice ourselves. And now, though, we see something that's very interesting. We see that all these threats have been kind of corporate, but now we see the threats against God's servant personally. We see the threats against God's servant personally. All these threats are against Nehemiah personally. They're against him because the devil wants to stop the work that God is doing through his servant to rebuild and restore God's people and his place of worship. Because God works through people. And how does God rebuild? How does God restore? How does God build his kingdom? Well, he primarily does that through people. That's true today. God works in and through people. But as, as God's working in and through you, through us, through all of us together, through you individually, God is working and yet at the same time, the enemy wants to stop you. And so we can learn some things from Nehemiah here. The, the enemy wants to stop you personally. He wants to stop you because it's through each and every individually that, that God builds his kingdom, that he restores his people. And so we're going to see really in the first five verses right away that the devil seeks to destroy us through distraction. The devil seeks to destroy us through distraction. What, how, how do we, where do we get that from? Well, we see in the first five verses, really, that Sam Ballot, he was just, he, he made a nice appeal. He says, hey, you know what? Why don't we get together and have this, like, peace talk, right? Why don't we get together and, and we'll chat a little bit. We'll do it in the plains of Ono, you know, just far enough away from Jerusalem where it's not really safe, by the way, and just far enough away where it's kind of neutral territory, but, but where you'll be in danger. But, you know, let's have this peace talk together. They were trying to stop the work, though. You see, it tells us there were, some, there were some gaps in the wall still. The wall was completely built, but there were still gaps because he had not set the gates in place. They, they hadn't finished the work. There's still some holes to be plugged. There were still some gates to be put in place. And so the devil knew that the only opportunity to destroy the physical place of God's worship was to get in quick because they couldn't mount a siege against a fellow Persian protectorate. And so they wanted to get in quick, and they did it insidiously by, by making a call for plea. You know, why don't we get together? Why don't we find some common ground? 
You know, you Christians, you're, you know, you've got these strong ideas, but, but maybe we can, we, can, we can find some common ground in some areas, and, and why don't we get together and have some peace talks, and why don't we, why don't we get together and, and talk about what we share in common. Let's not hear so much from all the stuff that, that you guys say is right and wrong, but, but let's talk about what we share. We all love people, right? And so he tried to get them to come and meet together in this neutral area to take them away from the work. The problem is it was, it was a distraction that was going to take him away from the work. It was a couple days probably either way for him to travel there. It would have taken him away for at least a week. And if you're gone for a week, the enemy can come in quickly and attack. And beyond that, though, it, Nehemiah says, they intended to do me harm. Maybe he had some spies. He figured that out. Maybe God had told him. But he says in no uncertain terms. You know, he, he was way before Tom Petty in his day. And he says, I won't back down. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to stop. I'm, he was a man of principles. He was a man of determination. And he says, no way. I'm not coming down. He was clear on his determination to complete the work that God had called him to carry out. And he wasn't going to be distracted by anything. How about you? Are, you? are you clear on the work that God's called you to do? Are you clear on the fact that, that God has given you a mission as a, as a believer to, to be a disciple, to to grow as a disciple, to, to make disciples in the world? Are you, are you clear on that personal mission? Do you own that mission? And, and, and how about you? Are you allowing any distractions to come in to take you away from that? Nehemiah says, I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work. Now, first you think, well, man, is Nehemiah being proud? I'm doing a great work. No, no, he wasn't being proud like that. He was saying, no, the work that I'm doing is great because God is great. God's called me to this work. God's rebuilding. God's restoring. God is building his kingdom. The reason why we can say, we're, you know what? The work that God's called us to do in his mission, it's, it's a great work because God is at work in and through the mission he's called us to. God is building his kingdom. The gates of hell won't prevail. God is the one who's rebuilding and restoring and drawing a people to himself. You know, Nehemiah, he... You know, some people might have thought he was a little nuts because he gave up a really cushy position. He gave up a cushy gig. He was with the king of Persia, and Persia at that time was, was pretty much over all of the developed world in that day. And so Nehemiah, he was one of the best buds of the king. He was, he was his cupbearer. He was his confidant. He, he was the one who gave him advice and counsel. And, and Nehemiah really gave up a really cushy, very wealthy job in a really prestigious position in a place where he was really protected, it was very safe, no opposition in the court of the king. And he gives up what's otherwise a really cushy position to go and carry out God's mission in God's place. You know, sometimes as believers, you're going to be called to say, you know what, no, I'm going to, I'm going to turn down that job because that means I'm going to travel too much and I'm not going to be able to serve my family in the local church. Or you know what, no, I'm going to say no to that job because um, the, the things that are going to be asked of me aren't godly. And that there'll be sacrifices we have to make, and the world might think you're nuts for making those sacrifices. But you can say, well, I'm not going to be distracted from my mission. I'm not going to be distracted because we have been given a great work. And you know what? In whatever job you have, in whatever employment you have, or if you're in school or whatever season of your life, or maybe you're in a, in a retirement season of life, is you know, you, you still have a mission, you still have a great work. You've still been given the, the job, the responsibility to, to reflect and image God by being a disciple and, and letting people see that that's who you're living for is Jesus and that's what you're living for is Jesus and everything that you're doing, you're living for Jesus. You're, you're being a disciple of him. But not only that, you, you have the great privilege of saying, you know what, I want to be more and more like Jesus so that I can reflect him more and more. I want to grow. And then I get the privilege of making other disciples, of sharing the good news of Jesus with people who don't know him, of, of speaking life so that people are made alive by the power of God through the gospel. What could be more important than that in whatever job, school, or situation that you have, you've been given a great mission. Are you aware of that? Do you keep that in mind? Nehemiah, he had his mission in mind. It was at the forefront. He knew what he was about. He knew what God had called him to do. Do you know what you're about? Do you know what God has called you to do? Are you living for that? Or do you allow distractions to come in? You know, God's name was at stake in Nehemiah's life, and he knew it. God's God's reputation was at stake. God's, God's kingdom building was at stake. 
Do you know God's name is at stake in what you're doing right now? God's name is at stake in your school, in your work. God's name is at stake in your neighborhood. He's given you a great work and a great mission. And don't let things distract you from that. You know, are you loving God and honoring him in all that you do? Are you doing it for him? Are you doing it for his glory? If you're living a life that's set apart, that's loving God, that's loving people, it speaks of him in and through what you're doing, you have a great mission. It's of great value. And it's too important to let secondary things interfere and stop you from your work. But here's the question for you, Christian. Have you, have you left your post? Are you, are you getting distracted? Are you letting the distractions, the cares of this world creep in? You know, are you more concerned with riches or influence or power? Are you more concerned with all the things that can consume us? Just the daily grind of life. Nehemiah says, no, I'm not going to back down. I'm not coming down. His work was great because it was for the sake of God's name and God's people. God's servant can't and shouldn't let things distract them from what God has called them to do what's of most importance. You know, the Apostle Paul said, I, I, I want to preach to you what's of most importance, that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's, that's our call as Christians as well, and no matter what your job is. And, and by the way, every job is, can be a holy job, is a ministry job if it's done unto the Lord. You know, this, this secular, sacred distinction is nonsense. Anything done unto God, no matter what you do, whether you eat or drink and everything that you do, it's do it as unto God and it's ministry, but are you doing ministry in your job? Are you doing the work of ministry? Are you getting distracted? And there's a lot of things that can distract us, right? For us, it's not as, we don't, we don't have anybody coming and asking us to do, have peace talks because most of us aren't in a position like Nehemiah's. But we have all kinds of other distractions that creep in. And we need to learn to discern those distractions and discern that the devil's actually intent behind them is not benign, right? And so sometimes benign things can kind of creep into your life. And, and so maybe you're in your job or you're in your school or maybe like me and you're sitting there and you're supposed to be studying. And, and so this benign distractions of, of social media creep in. You know, it's, it's a benign distraction or maybe it's shopping or, or maybe some other some some benign distraction. It's not bad in and of itself. It's not bad to have peace talks. It's not bad to do these things. But you know what? We can subtly allow distractions to creep in and to take us from our effectiveness in our mission. What are you allowing in your life? Why don't you think for a moment. What distractions are you allowing in your life that make you ineffective in your mission that God has given to you? What distractions? Will you be resolved like Nehemiah? Will you say, no, wait a minute, those aren't just benign things. The things of the world that come in to distract us, you know what, they, they aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but there is something behind it that, that the devil wants to subtly get us out. He wants to take us away from the work. He wants to distract us with things that are not as significant, not as eternally meaningful. And his enemy was persistent, right? These guys come four times. They come four times, it says, asking him. And yet he's persistent. And he says, every time I answer him the same way, no way. No way, Jack, I'm not coming down. My work's too important. No, I'm not doing it. And you know what? The devil's gonna be persistent against you. There's gonna be persistent distractions that come into your life. There's persistent distractions. When, whenever I'm getting ready for a Sunday's message and I'm trying to study, there is, I can, there's like a million things that I'm distracted by and that all of a sudden I find to do. You know, I wanna, I wanna start organizing or start fixing the car, start working the house, start doing all these other things. And those are not those are actually good things and it can be part of what God's calling me to, but in that moment, it's not what God's calling me to. Good things can become distracting things. Maybe as a parent, you get distracted by a, your, your phone and instead of saying, wait a minute, I have a person right here that I get to be a witness and a testimony to, that I get to, to share the good news of Jesus to image Christ to, and instead I'm distracted by my own stuff. Or maybe it's as a husband or as a wife, you're distracted in, in what God's calling you to in those roles, those God-given roles he's calling you to. Maybe distracted at school or at work. What, what are you letting take you away from what God's calling you to? Well, Nehemiah, he was equally relentless in his commitment to do what God had called him to. He did not give up. He was determined. He knew what was truly important in his life. Do you know what's truly important as a student, a single, a husband, a wife, a parent, 
a grandparent or your later years where you, you have, everyone's moved out and now what God has for you now, you're called to persist, to not give up, be relentlessly pursuing the running of the race. Well, we see the enemy couldn't distract God's servant to destroy him, and so the enemy takes, changes tactics. And so look down at verse five, verses five through eight. We see the second thing is that not only does the enemy seek to distract us and then destroy us that way, subtle destroying, but now the enemy seeks to discredit through lies. That's what we see in verses five through eight. The enemy seeks to discredit through lies. You know, it's not to be encouraged, but in politics... People who play by the world's rules, they play a different game. And the way to take down a political opponent in the world's mind is to discredit them. We see that all the time, don't you? You can look in the news and, and whenever they have a political race, there's a smear campaign that happens. Well, why is that? Because the best way to take down an opponent is to discredit them. The best way to stop them from being effective is, is to take away their power by discrediting them, to make stuff up. It's a gold mine if stuff is true for a political operative. It's a gold mine if they can dig up some true stuff and then discredit somebody. But, but you know what? The, the enemy doesn't stop there. Even if things aren't true, they'll try to discredit us in, in many different ways. Now, as a Christian, ultimately, you need to be assured that the devil can never discredit you before God. Right? The devil can never discredit you before God. Did you know that? The devil can never discredit you before God. And, and you know why? Because Jesus has already earned all the credits that you need. Jesus earned all the credits you need before God. And so God has taken all the credit of Christ and given it to you. And so you can never be discredited before God. And so the devil knows that. The devil's aware that you can't be discredited before God, but he'll attack you and tell you that you are. But then the other thing the devil will do is try to make us ineffective by discrediting us before the people. Now there are some ways that the devil can discredit from other people. If, if, we, if we allow or give opportunities to the devil and, and, and we don't live as we're called to live, if we disobey God, that discredits the name of Christ, that makes us ineffective. But the other thing is that the devil can often lie, and that's what we see in this passage here, is that they're lying about Nehemiah. They're lying. They make a story up. Same about somebody, they come to him four times, they, they can't get him to have this meeting, they can't distract him, and they realize that because he's focused on his mission. So now, what they're trying to do is discredit him. So they make the story up, and they say, hey, well, you know, we've heard from all the nations around that you Christians, you know, that you Nehemiah, we've heard that you want to set up your own kingdom, that you want your own thing, and that you, know, you, you put prophets in place to announce the fact, and, and you're going to set yourself up as the Messiah here, and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to make your kingdom and throw off the kingdom of Persia, and you're all about yourself. You know, that's what the world does to us as Christians, too. You know, you Christians, you just want your own Christian nation here. You just want, you just want to make it all about you and nobody else. They try to discredit and intimidate and threaten. It sounded plausible. It sounded, you know what, maybe it could be true. It called Nehemiah's motives into question. If news got back to Persia, it'd be considered high treason. He'd be put to death. He had reason to be afraid. It could affect his job and it could affect his life. People might try to discredit you. It can affect your job. They questioned his motives. They accused him of pride, deceit, really. Claimed he played, paid profits to lie. They threatened him with the full force of the government to stop. We might be threatened by those things as well. It's hard to just brush those accusations aside, just brush that, those lies aside. We need to recognize the enemy uses half-truths, uses lies, slander, intimidation to try to dissuade God's servant. But, but look in verse 8. Nehemiah still doesn't give in. And, and, I, and I, you know, it's verses like this make me love Nehemiah even more because he was a real guy. He was like, what are you talking about? Give me a break. No such thing as you say is even remotely true. None of this has all been done. None, none of it's been done. And then he says, you, you're inventing this out of your own mind. You're making it all up. It's a figment of your imagination. He, he, he discerns what's really going on and then he refutes it with the truth. But at the same time, he doesn't go on the offensive. He doesn't attack. He doesn't harass them. He doesn't try to attack them. But he does refute the lies with the truth. And as believers, we need to make sure that we're refuting the lies with the truth, that we're telling the truth about what's really going on, that we, when somebody questions things, we say, no, that's not what we're about. We need to proclaim the truth. 
We need to be courageous to counter that slander, falsehood, set things straight. You know, no, Christians are not bigots. No, we don't hate people because we believe that some behavior is sinful. No, we actually love people because we want to see them be rescued from their sins. But the problem is you can't rescue somebody from sin if you leave them in it. So tell the truth. We need to be rescued. And it's the love and grace of God that not only confronts us with our need for God, but gives us the balm of knowing that our sins are dealt with by Jesus on the cross. Nehemiah counters the lies with the truth. He's bold. We have to counter the lies with the truth. We must be bold. But he doesn't go, go on. He doesn't allow their comments to sidetrack him from the mission. He doesn't stop. He's not intimidated. Don't be intimidated when the devil comes in and he tries to divert you or try to distract you. Or the devil or people come in and they lie about you. They lie about what Christians really believe. Don't be intimidated. Don't be fearful. Don't let this stop you in the work. I love what James Hamilton, he says, he says, the fact that people could misrepresent and misinterpret what Nehemiah was doing didn't stop him from doing what God had called him to do. The fact that, that people could misrepresent and misinterpret what Nehemiah was doing didn't stop him from doing what God had called him to do. People might misrepresent and misinterpret what God has called you to do, but don't let that stop you from doing God's work. Verse 9, it tells the motive they wanted to frighten him, he says. He says, look in, look in verse 9, look down your Bibles. He says, for they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it won't be done. But now God strengthened my hands. What did he do? How did he respond when the threats and lies and intimidation came? He refuted with the truth, and then what did he do now? He turns to God in faith and trusting God. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to spend a whole lot of time, hey, refute the lies with the truth. Don't get defensive proclaim the truth, and then look to God and trust in God and say, God, would you strengthen my hands even more for this work? I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back down. The enemy of God's people seeks to make us fearful all the time. You ever afraid of failing? Anybody here ever afraid of failing in life or at what you're doing? Nobody? Okay, just come on. Put, keep your hands up. If you're ever afraid of failing as a husband, parent, father, whatever, in life as a Christian. I, 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 great, thank you. You can put them down. We often are attacked by the devil because he wants to make us fearful. And, and if the devil can make us afraid, the devil can weaken us and keep us from stepping out in faith and responding to God. If I'm afraid I'm going to fail, I don't know about you, but my temptation when I think I'm going to fail is just, I don't even want to do it at all, right? Uh, or that's too hard, I'm not going to do it. Or you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll procrastinate if something is, is I think I'm, I'm afraid of something. Or if I'm afraid of what people say, I won't speak up. How about you? You ever do that? You ever, you ever like, well, I, I just can't do that, I'm not going to do that, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, until you don't. I can't go share the gospel. I, I can't go and tell about Jesus. I, I, can't, I can't speak up. I, I can't do those things. You know, I'm just going to fail. I don't, I don't have a good witness anyway, so um, I, I'll, just, I'll just stay to myself and I'll stay quiet. And so he, it makes us ineffective in our mission. That's what the devil seeks to do. He seeks to, to frighten us, thinking that our hands will drop from the work. And yet, what should we do? Respond with the truth. Don't be frightened. Go to God and say, God, I'm too weak. Would you strengthen my hands for the work? And by the way, whose hand is stronger than God's, right? God is able to strengthen you for the work because no one can stay God's hand. You know, fear can make us weak. It can keep us from speaking up, not saying anything at work or school. Or... Now we acknowledge our weaknesses. We, we acknowledge our lack. We look to God. We receive his strength and power. We might have feeble hands, but don't be frightened, God doesn't. God's hands are strong. The devil ultimately cannot destroy us because God holds our life securely. The devil cannot defeat us. He cannot weaken us because our strength is in God. Well, the third thing we see in verses 10 to 14 is the devil seeks to discourage us through fear. He seeks to discourage. If you have been alive for any amount of time as a believer, you have been probably discouraged at times. You can be discouraged. If I'm discouraged, I give up. 
I feel like it won't work. I get, I get tired. I feel depressed. And I think, you know what? Oh, it's just not worth it. I shouldn't get out of bed this morning. You know, it's just too hard. That's what the devil seeks to do to us. He seeks to discourage. You need to be discerning. Realize something more is going on than just you feeling bummed out. It's the devil trying to keep you from the work. Nehemiah had a real discouraging word. It was a very discouraging word. He's like, you're going to die. He goes to this house of this prophet, Shemaiah, and, and he meets with Shemaiah. And Shemaiah may have wanted everybody to see that Nehemiah is weak, and so he's coming for counsel, whatever. We're not sure why Shemaiah was shut up in his house, but he was. But he goes to this prophet, Shemaiah, and, and Shemaiah tells him a word. And he says, you know what? God says that you're going to die. And by the way, you're going to die tonight. And it's really ominous. And, and in the original language, it's in this Hebrew kind of poetry thing, which makes it seem even more ominous. He's pronouncing a prophetic utterance. And he's saying, you're going to die. And you're going to die tonight. So let's go and hide. Let's, let's, not, let's not do what you're supposed to do. Let's go and hide. And let's go and hide. Now listen, in the temple, he says. We'll get that in a second, but he wants to go hide in the temple and shut himself up, shut the doors, go and hide, take asylum in the temple. And at first you think, well, that's such a bad idea. Somebody's after me. Somebody wants to kill me. You know, all the old movies, where did they run? They ran into the church, right? And they sought asylum there. And so you think, well, maybe it's not such a bad idea. If he really is going to die, maybe Shemaiah is telling the truth here. And so if he's going to die, shouldn't he go and, and, and not die? That's not a bad idea, you know? But it was a horrible idea, even if it sounded good at first. Because Shemaiah was not really trying to help him. He was being deceptive for at least two reasons. The first way he was deceptive is that he claimed to speak for God, but he actually contradicted God's word. What you need to know is that in that day, not only Nehemiah, but all the people of Israel would have known God's word. They would have known the commands of God that, that only the priests are allowed to go inside the temple into the inner places. Now, he's not talking about the holy holies, but they're not, they're not allowed to go inside. They can go in the outer court, but, the, but people are not generally allowed to go inside the temple. That was a place reserved for the priests who were ministering before God. And so Shemaiah is actually contradicting God's word here. And you can be sure that that the devil will, will often come to us and, and he'll, he'll try to get us to protect ourselves and to do things that will, that will compromise, that will, that will contradict God's word. And you can be sure that it's not of the Lord if it contradicts God's word. Whenever you hear something or hear guidance, you hear people telling you what to do, if it's in contradiction to God's words, you need to be discerning and say, wait a minute, they're not, they're not speaking with my interest at heart. They're being motivated by something else. This is not the Lord. I need to be aware. And so Nehemiah, he's discerning. He realizes, wait a minute, he's asking me to go in. And, and Nehemiah might have remembered King Uzziah. He went into the temple and he got off lucky, if you will, because he came out with only leprosy all over. But if you went to the temple of God, you could be struck dead because you, you approach God on your own merit, in your own way. And God, God says, no, you approach me my way through my merits. If Nehemiah was to disobey God like that, he could lose his life, but he would certainly disobey God and he would gain the dishonor of men. Do you know when you, you disobey God, it's not just about you and God. It's, it's about your witness as well. There, there's something bigger at stake. The mission of the church, the mission that God has called you to, your mission as an image bearer, a disciple maker is it's at stake, and so, so be aware when, when the devil tries to get us to disobey him, the devil is after a bigger agenda. He wants to take us down to get us out of the way to discredit us. He wants to discourage and discredit us by getting us to fail. Be aware and turn back. I, I love his response. Says, Should such a, such a man as I run away? So first of all, he responds and says, you know, what? wait a minute, this can't be of God because it's getting me to fear and, and we're never called to operate in fear. We're never called to run away from the devil. What are we called? Resist the devil and he flees, right? As a Christian, you don't have to run away from the attacks of the devil. No, resist him. Now it says flee temptation, but it doesn't say run away, be scared. Hold yourself up and you know what? Have your own Christian enclave and, and, and go and have your own little Christian bunker. No, that's not how we're called to live. 
Don't go cloister yourself. He said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I, now, now he says, you know, I, I can't disobey. What man such as I could go into the temple and live? I won't go in. I'm not going to disobey God. He'd rather die than disobey God and live in disobedience. What commitment in the face of potentially being assassinated, right? Are you willing to die for God in order to obey God? Or are you tempted to to save your own skin and disobey? That's the kind of commitment we're called to as God's people. That's a high commitment. And then and then looks and he says he understood that Tobiah was not sent by God. I mean, Shemaiah was not sent by God. He was sent by Tobiah and Sanballat. He discerned the truth because it disobeyed Scripture, because it caused fear. You know, whenever somebody claims to be for God and never is going to go against God, it's never going to cause fear in your life. If they're claiming to speak for God, it will not cause fear. Now, I'm not talking about fear of the Lord. That's a healthy all of God. But it's not going to cause you to be fearful of people or fearful of things. God brings his children faith in him. And it says, for this purpose he was hired. Look in verse 13, that I should be afraid and act in this way so they should give me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then he prays. Nehemiah is consistently and constantly resisting, being discerning, turning back to attack the devil, and then going to God in prayer. How about you? We, we need the Lord to sustain us, and so we need to discern the attacks of the devil, we need to resist the attacks of the devil, and then go to God in prayer, relying on God by faith. So God sustains us as we discern and resist the attacks of the enemy by faith. Although the devil can't destroy us, he, he seeks to discredit and discourage us. And when he can't do that, he seeks to divide us. And look down at verses, I think it's verses 17 and 19. The devil seeks to divide us internally. That's what's happening here in verses 17 to 19. The, 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 the enemy is trying to divide. And he does it insidiously by, by having party spirit. That's what's happening. By having people say, well, well, I'm of Tobiah, and, and I'm on this side. And, and so you have this party spirit where people have these strong opinions and preferences. Things should be done this way, no this way. Things should be done this way, no this way. And, and it says that they were bound by oath, and, and so they were taking sides against God's leader. They were taking sides and having cliques in God's people. And he seeks to divide that self-seeking. We see that it was probably through power, through position, and through wealth because it talks about all the influence that Tobiah had. And so they were bound to him by oath because they wanted, they wanted jobs, they wanted wealth, they wanted power and prestige. And so they took sides and the, and the devil brought in, tried to bring in division. You know, just because we're doing God's work as a church and just because God has done a great work in this church and God has done a wonderful work in this church. He has built this church. Now, we're not done yet by God's grace, but he's built this church, and he's given a great people here who, who love each other, who are not oppressing each other, who are loving each other, who are demonstrating the gospel, who are living that out. But at the same time, division, we need to be on guard and be aware. Wait a minute, the devil seeks to divide. And he does that through self-seeking. So let's make sure we don't allow self-seeking to come in. There was intrigue here. If you look, there was intrigue. There was kind of this gossipy intrigue. They spoke of his good deeds in my presence. And, and then so they, what they did was like, hey, by the way, Sam, so Tobiah's really okay. And then they repeated secretly, repeated Nehemiah's words to Tobiah to be used against him. There was intrigue happening. People were taking sides. The enemy was trying to get the work to stop through all kinds of means and disloyalty. And they were under oath to a leader they should never have been under oath to. They were under oath because they were being self-seeking. Let's, let's guard against self-seeking. Let's guard against division. Nehemiah, he was on guard. He doesn't give up. He doesn't give into the fear of failure. We're going to see in the next chapter, he immediately rejoices when the work is done. But the thing that I want to come back to in verses 15 and 16 is that through everything, the, the final point that we have here is through everything, God has dominion. So the, the devil might seek to destroy, to distract us. The devil might seek to discourage, to discredit. And we need to be on guard against those things and then turn to God in prayer. But you know what? Ultimately, we can know that God has dominion. Boy, that's why we pray in the first place, right? 
That's how we can turn away the attacks of the devil, because we know that God has dominion. We can pray because we know God has dominion. We can have faith because we know how God has dominion. And what do I mean by dominion? He has, he has rule, he has reign, he has authority. His work will be accomplished. His work is accomplished. Look in verses 15 and 16. So the wall was finished. So the wall was finished. In 11 verse 16, and when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. Because they perceived the work had been accomplished with the help of God. You know, it, it was a feat that caused the enemies of God to take notice. When, when God is at work building and restoring his people and his place and his kingdom, it causes the enemies of God to take notice. When we are discerning, when we don't allow distractions to creep in, when we don't allow discouragement to come in, when we don't allow our name to be discredited by dishonoring God, when we don't allow the attacks of the devil, when we are faithful, God accomplishes his work through us. And he builds his kingdom. And the world stands in awe. And often, though, God uses opposition to spread the good news. You know, in Philippians 1.12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial garden the rest, all the rest of my imprisonment is for Christ. And that's often the effect as we stand firm and we continue in the work that he's called us and continue in the mission, resisting the attacks of the devil, trusting in God, is that it will result in others knowing Jesus and staying in all of God and in all of his name. Nehemiah trusted in God, wasn't afraid, but his enemies were. I love that reversal. You see that? The enemies tried to make him fear. He tried to make him fear. He tried to make him fear. He tried to make him fear. It's mentioned at least four major times here that the enemy attacks trying to make him fear, trying to distract, to discredit, to discourage, to dishonor God. And, and yet, you know what? As we trust in God, the enemy ends up fearing. Isn't that cool? The enemy ends up fearing. As a church, you know, we, we, we're, not, we're not strong and together because of our own abilities or ingenuity, our cleverness. God's built his church and God's building the church. And only God could bring together a bunch of motley people. And by the way, you gotta be honest with yourself, we are a motley crew. And not the band, but we are, we are a, a very different group of people and that's good. All kinds of places and backgrounds and perspectives and and yet God has brought us together as a loving, caring body. You know, all of us have, we're going our own way. All of us were selfish, but yet God has built us together into this marvelous dwelling place for, for his name to be proclaimed. And only God is able to bring his people to hear his word and worship and make sinful people love him and love one another. But we still need to be on guard. But as we are, we can be, we can be confident that God's gonna accomplish his work. The walls completed, the city's built, God's name's proclaimed, the people are safe, worship's restored. Jesus has already won the war, even though the enemy still battles us. Don't be afraid. Be discerning, but don't be afraid. Nehemiah was resolute, but you know who, who, who else was resolute? I, I love all through the book of Mark and all through the gospels, you see this, is that when Jesus is faces opposition, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And Mark, it says he set his face like flint. He set his face like stone. To, he, was not, he was immovable in his mission. He was undistractable. He set his face to go to Jerusalem where he would ultimately conquer. Jesus carried out his mission and nothing stopped him. He had a laser-like focus. You know, all around was opposition. The, the greater Nehemiah was opposed from without. They tried to, they tried to destroy him. Many times, they tried to stone him and he kind of slips out. You're like, how did they miss that, you know? Ultimately, God was the one who was sustaining. He had opposition within. His best friend tries to distract him from what he came to do. So Jesus had to say, get behind me, Satan. There was distractions from within. There was deceit. There was jealousy. There was greed. Judas, one of the 12, betrayed him. He had questions that were intended to trap him from the Pharisees. And yet he sets his face to Jerusalem. Nothing distracted him from his purpose. Nothing distracted him from building his kingdom. He came to do the Father's work. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to rescue us, to redeem us, to reconcile us. 
Nothing stopped Jesus. He died to set us free. Death did not stop his mission to pay for our sins. He was resurrected to life. And there's forgiveness and there's freedom. There's joy in him. God has established his kingdom. As a believer, you can have confidence in a greater leader that has already endured And because he's endured, he knows how to endure and he's gonna enable us to endure and he's gonna enable us to resist the attacks of the evil one and he is gonna keep us faithful all the way to the end. You know, I I read 1 Peter at the beginning. I didn't read the second part of it. Go back there. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring light and seeing someone to devour Resist him firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Here is the second half that's the good news, God's sustaining grace. It says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, listen closely, will himself restore will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord, and I pray that you would enable us to be a wise servant, Lord, enable us to wisely follow you, to love you. God, would you enable us to resist the devil, to turn away distractions, things that would distract us from our mission, the cares of this world. God, I pray that you would enable us to turn away from temptations to fear, Lord. God, I pray that you would keep us from sinning and discrediting our witness, Lord. I pray that you would enable us to stand strong, to be discerning when other people call us to things that, they are, that are good but are not of you, that are not of your word necessarily. God, I pray that you would help us stand firm in the faith and turn to you. And God, thank you that, Jesus, ultimately you have conquered, you have endured. And so, Lord, we can, we can look to you knowing that you're going to enable us to conquer. Would you give us fresh faith this morning, fresh eyes to see, and, Lord, may we wisely trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.